Hi guys, I'm Rebecca. And I'm Emily. And this is Gory Time. And today we are doing the Grinder Murders. So in the UK, 6 million people use dating apps. 6 million people. That is more than the population of London alone. Jeez, oh. I know. It's... I genuinely did not realise that many. But I mean, I knew a lot of people use them, but like not. I don't think I actually like know someone that's single that hasn't used a dating app no yeah pretty much all my friends have or do use one have in the past have met people through them Mm -hmm. and many of these people use Grindr if they're gay and Grindr is for gay and bi men trans and queer people it's very location based and you can see from the foot where people are like if you're in the middle of a town you can see that someone's six feet away from you is on grinder i did not know that that's creepy as hell it's really weird in london the distance between people is generally rather small Although it won't be the only gay dating app we talk about, the popularity of Grindr means that it has become synonymous with gay dating and gay dating apps. So although it's not present in every case we're going to talk about in the press, they made the name stick. So this is the Grindr murders. Anthony Walgate was working as an occasional escort. He was from Hull, but he moved to London to go to Middlesex University to study fashion. In 2014, he was 23 and in his second year of university. He would occasionally work as an escort on the website Sleepy Boys. So the website Sleepy Boys basically has lists of pictures of mostly naked men and advertises itself as a search engine for gay escorts bisexual and transgender escorts. Search for your favourite rent boy or gay masseur across the UK. I went on Sleepy Boys. It was an experience. Oh jeez, it sounds like it. (laughs) I wish I could wipe it not only from my memory as I could my search history. Not gonna lie, it sounds like the ads that pop up when you're watching dodgy movies... Mm. Not dodgy movies. No. <laughs> like movies from dodgy. What are you watching, Emily? <laughs> movies from do- from dodgy uh, websites. Yeah. Dodgy sites. <laughs> I mean, you're telling on yourself here. No. Yeah. No. It was. It, it seemed like some sort of strange dream when I was on it. It didn't really seem real. Hmm. And they operate throughout the UK. They say you can find a date, a gay massage or sauna companion or a rent boy. I had only heard of rent boys in relation to MPs. Yeah, I don't know what that is. It's basically a gay escort. Oh, right. Okay. 
They say they are the best gay and bisexual escort directory in the UK. But Anthony was smart about it. If he felt uncomfortable or felt that something was too risky, he wouldn't take the job. He was picky and he would charge £800 for an overnight date. But on the 19th of June 2014, he was found outside a block of flats. A member of the public had called police to report this. The person calling police was Stephen Port. Police asked the usual questions, but he said he didn't really know what was going on. He thought the guy was having a seizure or was drunk. But when police check, Anthony's dead. A post-mortem was performed and they said that his death was a result of alcohol and drug use. But his friends were asking questions and they begged police to look further into Anthony's case. But they said themselves, they fobbed us off. So there was another young gay man, Gabriel Cavari, also known as Gabriel Klein. He was 22 in 2014. He'd moved to London from Spain where he was living with his boyfriend, Thierry Amodio, I want to say. He had moved to Spain from Slovakia because he thought people were conservative and intolerant. Eastern European countries are not always welcoming to LGBTQ plus individuals. In Poland, a 2019 survey found that among men under 40, they thought that the biggest threat facing them in the 21st century was the LGBT movement and gender ideology over climate crisis, renewed aggression from Russia and the possible economic downturn. They thought gay people were more of a threat to them. Um, yeah, I genuinely, it's beyond me how people could even begin to view the LGBT movement as a threat. I, I, don't, I don't understand. Like, You can only laugh, like, honestly. What do they think is going to happen? Yeah, as you say, compared to things like climate crisis, aggression from Russia, like, come on, you have bigger problems going on. So... The world could burn itself to a fiery crisp or two men could love each other and be happy and not affect your life at all. It's it's ridiculous. This is the thing. I I don't know if it's a generational thing. Like I know that you and I are both Gen Z or Gen Mm -hmm. Z if you're from the UK. Which we are. (laughs) And... Which we are, funnily enough. Um, I, I think that our generation is a lot more accepting of pretty much anything that doesn't hurt anyone mm-hmm. else than a lot. Not to say that millennials and everyone else is not, but I think that our generation specifically is very inclusive and and very accepting. But the fact it's the biggest risk to them as people in the 21st I don't yeah, understand it's very strange but that is how they feel so it is no surprise that a young queer man would want to escape from this and honestly the threat to his life and any chance of being happy with a person he would love Gabriel was a gifted artist he wanted to make a difference and just care for people when he came to London he briefly worked in a Slovakian shop he had gone to move in with another guy called Stephen 
He was moving into his flat in Barking, East London. When he moved into his flat, his new flatmate introduced him to his neighbour, Ryan Edwards. They exchanged phone numbers and, weirdly, the night after they met, Gabriel texted him saying, Stephen is not a nice person. The next day, Ryan texts Stephen asking, How is Gabriel? Stephen told Ryan that he had gone to stay with another local guy, some soldier guy he'd been chatting to online. Everyone he knew was shocked when only a few days later, on the 28th of August, his body was found 500 metres from his new flat, propped up in the corner of a graveyard and found by a dog walker. He was found wearing sunglasses, two bags of his stuff next to him and his top pulled up showing his tummy with a large amount of GHB in his system, which is what killed him. Gabriel's death seems inexplicable to those that knew him, but to police, it's easily written off. His death was classed as non-suspicious but unexplained. Now, police wrote off Gabriel's death so quickly that they didn't have a look at his Facebook page. But they did talk to his flatmate. Not the most recent one, but the previous one. Gabriel's old flatmate, John Pape, He had lived with him for a couple of weeks before announcing that he was moving in with someone else. John said he could stay longer, but Gabriel insisted. So on the 23rd of August, Gabriel moved out. Three days later, John messaged him, asking how he was getting on. Gabriel never replied. When Gabriel was found, John was one of the first people to be contacted. When police left, he started googling to find out more about Gabriel's death. During a search, he found a very similar unexplained death. The death of Anthony Walgate. And something clicked to John. The cemetery that Gabriel was found in? At St Margaret's Church? Well, that was super close to where Anthony was found on Cook Street. So, with these alarm bells ringing in his head, he contacts Gabriel's boyfriend in Spain, Thierry. John was telling him to contact police and the coroner about the similarities between Anthony and Gabriel. But Thierry was already on it. He'd found a Facebook friend called John Luck. He checked in with this John Luck to see if they knew where Gabriel was. John Luck said that he had slept with Gabriel on the 22nd and he spent two days with him, but that Gabriel had left him to go to a gay orgy with an older Irish man called Tony, who had driven away in an older green Toyota. John Locke asked if police would want to talk to him since his DNA would be found on Gabriel. And then, weeks later, John Locke said that he managed to hack down Tony. John Locke texted Terry, a terribly misspelled text, saying, I texted him and asked what happened to to Gab. He said he left with a young guy about his age named Dan, and they was heading to a party slash orgy in Barking. Dan is tall, Light brown hair, he said. Looks similar to Gab, just slightly taller, very slim. When I told him Gab is dead, he said he don't want anything to do with it. Leave him alone. John Locke described these parties as places where older men get young guys high so that they just rape them. A couple of days later, police contacted Terry about the death of a man called Dan recognise the name well Terry pressed John Luck 
His only connection to this information. John Luck said, Please don't let them arrest me. I will try to find as much info as I can to help you. Please let me know if you have any more info from the police, names, etc. Terry asked him to call Barking Police with all the information he had. Next morning, John says, Maybe Dan knew what happened to Gab and could not deal with the guilt or something like that. Now Cherry is pestering police, asking for updates and repeatedly begging them to contact John Luck. They told Thierry, basically, Yep, we'd love to talk to him, but get him to contact us. So Thierry repeatedly asked John Luck to contact police. But he never did. And police never contacted him. For police, not following up on this would be a big mistake. Gabriel's death, however became explained less than a month later. So before we continue, let me tell you a little bit about GHB. Drugwise says that GHB is an anaesthetic but with a primarily primarily sedating quality instead of painkilling. GHB is a liquid and many people usually take it by drinking it and it's pretty much tasteless. It makes people feel euphoric. They feel they they lose their inhibitions. They have more confidence and a higher libido. Some people use it in clubs. Some bodybuilders use it, and some people use it to sleep. Apparently, use of GHB helps promote slow wave sleep, which is the deepest stage of non-rapid eye movement sleep, and this is where dreaming and sleepwalking occurs. It's also used as a date break drug. It can cause sweating, loss of consciousness nausea, hallucinations, amnesia, and it can lead to comas and other side effects. Emily, you were there when I was drugged with GHB. What? Remember at at, um, my party? Oh my god, I fully erased that from my memory, I don't know why. Yeah. (gasps) You were there when I got drugged with GHB. That was really, really odd. But all of those symptoms are exactly yeah and it's so weird like because when you list the symptoms like that it's like oh you kind of just sound that you're drunk but it's not like you're so different it's not drunk Mm -mm. it's like the weirdest thing because when the next day i'd had two drinks and i was throwing Mm. up i was passing out i was like a completely different person it was, yeah, you were like, like being so weird. And I remember my friend was, was there as well. Horrible. And she was like, oh, she, is she just like really drunk? Has she had too much to drink? And I was like, no, she hasn't at all. I don't know what's wrong. I'd literally had two drinks and I threw up so much. And then I remember drifting in and out of consciousness while throwing up and then being in my bed mm-hmm. and you and some other people being around me and me being like I don't know how I got here and then throwing up more then passing out and having no awareness of anything I remember that I don't know why I feel like you know you do that thing where you just kind of like I don't know if it's yeah you just like without realizing it block these things out and then you're like oh my god Mm -hmm. that was actually that was awful that was so bad I was genuinely horrifying because I was like so worried because there was there was no way 
that I had drank enough because you've been without with me on so many nights out and on no occasion have I ever ever been like yeah. that and then in my own party knowing how much I drank since I made the drink mm-hmm. not being able to function it happened so quickly and just being well. so quickly it was literally I remember sitting on my kitchen counter and then the next thing I know I am over the bathroom toilet I can clearly remember that now I literally just have visions of me in the bathroom throwing up and then being in my bed and right across from my bed was like a floor length mirror and looking at myself in the mirror and being like what is happening to you mm-hmm. and then I was sweating so much it was horrible it was a mm-hmm. horrible horrible experience I would not wish on anyone because you do not have any awareness of what is happening to you it's not nice and see what I found out these guys have been that this guy at least we'll find out later on but that GHB was a factor in this case Ugh. it was a horrible mm. flashback for me very glad you were there I, know. I yeah I'm so glad I was there because I would I'm glad I'm yeah. somewhere familiar can you imagine if that happened in a club or anywhere else I was in I know that house. that was I mean not not lucky but I mean it was a it was a yeah. saving grace it was and you being able to chase oh my god that was that was that's what i meant when i was like i'm glad i was there because like i can't i can't imagine anyone else from that group of people that were there doing that Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you literally had to chase this person (laughs) literally drag him out and be like go away (laughs) no no you're not welcome (laughs) goodbye oh horrible experience but guys watch your drinks (laughs) I have never been more careful over my drinks since that day. Watch your drinks. Even in your own house. But Daniel Whitworth was a 21-year-old chef from Kent. He was smart and he loved the outdoors. In 2014, he was working in Canary Wharf and he lived with his boyfriend of three years, Ricky. When Daniel and Ricky weren't together, they were in constant contact. And so... It was Ricky that called police when Daniel didn't come home from work or contact him at all on the 18th of September. He was last seen leaving work by a colleague. When they spoke to Daniel, he said he was going to meet a friend in Barking. Two days later, the dog walker who found Gabriel's body was walking her dog again when she had deja vu. There, where she'd found Gabriel less than a month earlier, was Daniel in the exact same position, propped up in the graveyard. In his hand was a small bottle of liquid and a suicide note. Emily, can you read this? Yes. I'm sorry to everyone, mainly my family, but I can't go on anymore. I took the life of my friend Gabriel Klein. Uh, We was just having some fun at a mate's place and I got carried away and gave him another shot of G. I didn't notice while we was having sex that he'd stopped breathing. 
I tried everything to get him to breathe again, but it was too late. It was an accident, but I blame myself for what happened and I didn't tell my family I went out. I knew I would go to prison if I go to the police and I can't do that to my family and at least this way I can at least be with Gabriel again. I hope he will forgive me. By the way, please do not blame the guy I was with last night. We only had sex, then I left. He knows nothing of what I've done. I've taken what G I have left with sleeping pills, so if it does kill me, it's what I deserve. Feeling dizzy now as took 10 minutes ago, so I'm hoping you understand my writing. I dropped my phone on the way here, so it should be in the grass somewhere. Sorry to everyone. Love always. Daniel P.W. So there's a lot to unpack there. Yes. Daniel is taking responsibility for the murder of Gabriel Klein. He says he drugged him with too much GHB, or what he's calling G. That's a hell of a confession. Sorry, I'm I'm just trying to <laughs> trying to absorb this information. It's yeah, go ahead and reread. It's a It's hell just of all a the lot. names. It's like I'm like who's who. I know. It's um so Daniel is the boy who went missing in September. Yes. Gabriel is the boy who went missing in August. And Anthony was the guy that was found having a seizure before that. Okay, so... Right, okay. Okay, I'm caught up. I get it now. (laughs) I get it. Yeah. All good. (laughs) Now, the police took this note at face value, which Daniel's boyfriend, Ricky, says impossible for a couple of reasons. He says Daniel was not suicidal, not by any means. Those that knew him said that he would never have drugged someone and that he certainly couldn't have killed someone. But there's something else. When he was young, his own killed herself, which left him with a lot of drama. And he felt that killing yourself was the most selfish thing a person could do. So he would never kill himself. And the people that knew him were certain of that. But in police's mind, we're quids in. Not only have they got this suicide all wrapped up in a tidy bow, but that unexplained death from last month, that's all neatly explained. And the person responsible has taken care of justice all by themselves. How neat. And the paperwork? Then we're done. Yeah? What they didn't look at, quite a few things. The part of the suicide note that says, the guy I was with last night, well, that would have, that would have been a big note. But they didn't look into that, did they? That's so odd. Like, you'd think that that is definitely something you would look into. You wouldn't just write that off and be like, oh, well. You'd at least want to see what Mm -hmm. his mindset was. Or if he'd said anything. What they also didn't look into was why Daniel had bruising in his armpits. Now this is often related to a body being dragged or handled just before or just after death. 
Senior Barking and Dagenham Police DCI Tony Kirk told a local paper that the deaths of Cavari and Whitworth were unusual and slightly confusing, but not suspicious. Thankfully, though, someone was paying attention. Do you remember the name John Pape? Yes, I think. <laughs> yes, he was Gabriel's first roommate. Okay. Not first, but previous roommate. So John Pape said that he felt he had to raise concerns and tell people that the death of now three men were super suspicious. He tried putting pressure on police, but honestly, he felt like he was hitting a brick wall. So he just... But honestly, he felt like he was just hitting a brick wall. So he stopped with police and he started talking to Gallup, an LGBT anti-violence charity who shared John's concerns and confronted police with them but they were told that one death was a result of a self-administered overdose that the other was a suicide on the same spot in response to the first death but John Pape didn't stop here he contacted a campaigner called Peter Tatchell and asked Pink News a gay newspaper to run a story but after they spoke to police and were assured that the deaths weren't suspicious, they didn't run it. Well, police had taken a wee look back at Anthony's case during this time. Because they realised when they talked to Anthony's friends that the whole reason Anthony was embarking that night, the night that he died, was because he was meeting a client. Because remember, he was an occasional mm-hmm. escort. So, like I said earlier, he was very careful about his clients. So, the night before he died, he texts his friend Ellie a picture of his client, along with the address, and the message, in case I get killed. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. He also told her that he was taking a small knife or scissors. The client Anthony had gone to see was Stephen Poore. Remember him? He'd found Anthony having a seizure or suffering from alcohol poisoning. When they realised that Stephen Port had lied to them about the circumstances leading to Anthony's death, he was charged with perverting the course of justice. Stephen Port pled guilty and was sentenced to eight months, but only served a little over two. At trial, the prosecutor said there is no suggestion that Mr. Port bore any criminal responsibility for the death of the young man. But after the court case, Anthony's friends spoke to police officers there and told him there was definitely more to this case that we don't know. Their response? That there's only two people who knew what happened that night. One of them's dead and one of them isn't going to see. But his friend, China Dunning, but his friend, China Dunning, was sure Stephen Port had hurt her friend and would hurt others. Wait, sorry. Side question. Um, when they say one's dead and the other isn't going to say, is that Stephen Port? Mm-hmm. That they're... Yes. One of them is Anthony Walgate and the other right, okay. is Stephen Port. Now, there were enough rumblings about Gabriel and Daniel's deaths that an inquest was to be held. The verdict they returned said that there were... Some concerns surrounding Daniel's death, which have not been answered by the police's investigation. The coroner said 
that most concerning are the findings by the pathologist of manual handling prior to his death and noted that the bed sheet that he was found wrapped in is not forensically analysed and the bottle of GBL, GHB, once it's in the, in the body system, was found near him, was not tested for fingerprints or DNA. They asked the detective why the bedsheet had not been tested, to which the detective replied, it is a consideration, but the circumstances at the time indicated towards no other external parties being involved at the time. Potential outcome of having the blanket analysed, the bedsheet analysed, could be to identify maybe where he'd been the night before, who had been in contact with him, but it wasn't submitted. And even after this exchange, no tests were done. And unfortunately, this would not be the end. While all this is going on, another young man, Jack Taylor, he was a forklift driver and he loved his job. Because his job involved driving and heavy equipment, there is a strict no drugs policy, which he was very stringent on. On the 13th of September in 2014, I think I said that Daniel went missing in September, but um, I think he actually went missing in August. But oops. He went a night out to the Trades Hall Club in Dagenham. He was a regular there. And he drank a beer and a few whiskeys. He went home in the early hours of the morning and his dad was still up. He wasn't open about the fact he was gay, but he was on Grinder. And as he gets home, he's on his phone and specifically Grinder. He sees a guy he likes and they start talking around 2am. This guy's quite close. He likes him, so he calls a cab. The guy invites him over. He doesn't tell his parents where he's going. But he heads to Barking and meets the man at 3am. Jack Taylor isn't seen again until the next day. When 36 hours later, his body is found in the same graveyard as Gabriel and Daniel. When his body is found, they find a bottle of GHB, a tourniquet and medical wipes. His phone is nowhere to be seen, just like Gabriel and Daniel. When the police look at this case, they saw this as a drug overdose. But his family knew him and they knew he wouldn't take drugs, never mind enough to overdose himself. He would not risk his job like this. It was just so suspicious. So Jack's family push and they push and they point out that now three bodies have been found in the same place and that all three had been written off as accidental drug overdoses. What are the chances that three gay men had overdosed, taken themselves to the same graveyard, two of them to the same grave, and in their final moments? But police write it off. The family don't know. They do do something. They have a look at where Jack Taylor had been that night. It was weird that he'd gone out. Gone home to his parents and then gone out somewhere else. And then died? What was he doing? They contact everyone they knew of. All of his friends found out everywhere he'd been that weekend. They found out that the area that he was found in was known for drugs. Something else they found out were the other boys. They read every news article, wrote down 
all of the similarities between the boys. The key points of the case noted the striking similarities to Jack's case. And they took this to police. It said that Jack's case had absolutely nothing to do with Gabriel and Daniel. What police did tell the family was that there was CCTV footage of Daniel on his last night alive after he left his parents' house. So the family pressured police to publish this, to see who it was, to find out what they had to see. So the footage shows Jack walking down the road with a tall blonde man. There were a couple of calls about this footage, but when they get a call from a police officer with a barking and Dagenham police, who recognise a tall blonde man, and his name, Stephen Port. And just two days after Jack's death, Stephen Port is arrested for causing the death of four men by administering poison. At this point, the case moves from Barking and Dagenham Police to a team of detectives in the London Metropolitan Main Homicide Major Crime Command. They interviewed Port for four days. He kept his story about Anthony and denied knowing the other three men and using GHB. Did make a point of stating that he had met Daniel at a sex party that were held by an East London drug dealer. So... He says he's only met Anthony of the four dead men. Although went to prison for being more involved in Anthony's death than he admitted. But then says he's also met Daniel. So he's admitting to lying to police. Yeah. But the media can sniff out what the public sees as a salacious story like bloodhounds. So with the media attention, eight more men come forward reporting that Stephen Port had drugged, raped and sexually assaulted them after meeting them online. He had an MO, or a modus operandi if you like your Latin. He would spike their drinks with GHB or GBL, with, a small, with the kind of small syringe that you give kids Calpol with. Mm-hmm. And in one case, he was talking to a young Muslim man. He had been to Port's house three times before with no issues, but he didn't drink to adhere to his religion. But Port was trying to pressure him into drinking, but he declines and he's given a glass of Coke. When he drank this glass of Coke, he felt like his throat was burning immediately, like someone had poured acid down his throat. He left, but asked if Port had put something in his drink, which... Port denied. Port convinced him to come back and he offered him a massage, which he took. He also offered him poppers. Do you know much about poppers? Not, not really, no. So they're something you sniff, but they are incredibly toxic. But they give you this like head rush and like a sense of euphoria and they increase your sex drive and skin sensitivity. They're quite popular in the gay community because they... I know this Honestly. <laughs> relax your butthole. Yeah. <laughs> so they're very popular with gay people. <laughs> Apparently they also relax your vagina. But I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Yeah, that, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound great, but let's just bypass that very quickly 
So this made the guy fall asleep. When he woke up, Port gave him a glass of what looked like water. And what Port said was water. And as soon as he drank it, he passed out. The next thing he knew, he was on the floor screaming and shouting. He was naked. He didn't know his own name, where he was, or even who he was. He felt like he had no control over his own body. He said when he got home, he called Mr. Port. I was shouting at him. What did you give me? What the hell did you give me? Because it certainly wasn't poppers. The more angry I got, the less he he answered my questions. I got the impression it was a normal thing what happened to me. Port took him to the train station, where police and ambulance services were called. When he spoke to police, he didn't want to file a police report because he didn't want his parents to find out and he just wanted to go home. What he did tell police was that he thought he was going to die in that flat. He said, if the police were not in the station, I don't know what he'd have done. I think that this is such a shame that he didn't want to report what happened to him because he didn't want his parents to find out. Mm Do you know that in 11 countries, one of the possible outcomes for consensual same-sex activity is the death penalty? In 11 countries? 11 countries. They will stone people to death, push them off buildings for being with someone that they love. I know, it's, it's really awful. Like, literally just for just being themselves... For being themselves for something that they have in my opinion no control over yeah and at least six of these countries so iran northern nigeria saudi arabia somalia and yemen the death penalty is implemented quite regularly and in 72 countries they criminalize consensual same-sex activity between men almost half of which are in the Commonwealth. No way. I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Like who? How? Um, I don't have it to know. <laughs> Could probably find it out 72 countries. Start. 72 countries. And they refer to it as buggery. And there's a couple of other names, but like... Hmm... That just, I, like, I knew some countries were like that, like that really backwards way, but I didn't think that many. Mm-hmm. And what boggles my mind is that in a lot of countries, the reason that they are so, they look down on homosexuality so badly is because the British Empire implemented it. Hmm. Do you know in India, it was quite normal and quite regular for two men and two women to love each other until the British Empire came in and were like, "Mm, no, this is bad and put a law against it. Typical. And now they are, and now we're like, oh, no, 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 it's fine. And they're like, no, no, you told us this was bad and they're still implementing that it's bad. Yeah. Do you know, they'll have people, they'll have transgender security so that you're like scared to act badly because in case these people like say something seriously mm-hmm. i can't remember what program i watched but they were like they specifically had transgender security 
to like cause a fuss. Jeez, oh. Like that's how looked down upon it is. Yeah. In 44 countries, they criminalise consensual same-sex activity between two women. And even in countries where it's not explicitly against the law, women are still arrested or threatened with arrest. Now, the reason that 44 countries criminalise two women compared to 72 countries criminalising between two men is because honestly the patriarchy doesn't see that as like a thing they don't even notice it like great it's not against the law but it's because they don't see women as people that's that's just that's as if it literally couldn't get even worse (laughs) i know it blows my mind like the reason that it's not criminalized which is a bad thing like it's bad that it's criminalized but the reason it's not criminalized is because they don't even notice women exist that's just another another whole Yay. thing. <laughs> oh, I'm going to raise such feminist children. <laughs> now, I really, really did not want to speak out of term. I'm not Muslim, so I reached out to a friend who is to clear up some of this, and I basically wanted to know what is so awful about his parents knowing that he would not report a sexual assault and... They said that basically that Islam doesn't recognise same-sex relationships. While his parents may accept him, there is a culture of what will people say? And that this, make like, this may make life for your entire family hard. And something I learned is that you can't be considered Muslim if you're gay. So his parents may love him and you may, you may not mind being shunned from the community. But he would almost not be considered a Muslim anymore which may be a huge huge thing for him Mm -hmm. so by his parents finding out that could have ruined his entire life he could have been shunned by the only by everyone he's ever known basically during police's investigation they found Stephen Port's search history and oh boy is it gross he was looking for young boyish men, sometimes referred to as twinks, in drug rape porn. Ew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he liked watching young men be raped while unconscious. That's just, uh, that just is just so, so... Mm. <laughs> I literally have no words for that. It's so gross. <laughs> I was just reading about this. I'm like, oh, does it get worse? Oh, it got worse. It does. Oh, dear, it got worse. <laughs> oh. Yep. So. Mm-hmm. Prosecutor Jonathan Rees said that Porce had a propensity to render young gay men unconscious with drugs without their consent so he could have sex with them in that state. That his particular inclination, his particular fetish, and what turned him on. And Port didn't just use GHB, he used poppers or bottles of amyl nitrate, Viagra, M, also also referred to as Meow Meow, T, or Tina, a name for crystal meth. But 
all four men had GHB in their system and the circumstances of their death were so similar. In other evidence, the paper which Daniel's suicide note was written on was from Port's flat. The writing did not match Daniel's. The bedsheet found with Daniel was from Port's bed and even had Port's DNA on it. Remember John Locke? Remember how he was messaging Thierry? Yeah. Well, the IP address linked to John Locke's account matched the IP address from Port's laptop. He is not a good criminal. No. He really Mm-mm. actually is not at all. He's terrible. Surely if you're going to so... if you're going to write someone's like like forge someone's writing, you at least make sure it's accurate like you don't just go ahead with a different handwriting altogether. I'm going to go on a slight rant about this, but it'll be in 2 minutes. Okay. Let me just... <laughs> 2 seconds, there'll be a rant. Of the eight men that came forward, the prosecution alleged that five were raped after being drugged and one was a victim of other sexual of other sexual activity. And at the end of it, Stephen Poor sat in the dock, missing the toupee that he had worn constantly for the last ten years and received a whole life sentence. Do you know why Stephen Poor got away with this for four murders? Because the police didn't see anything other than that these were four gay men. There was an inquest afterwards, which no one received any penalties for, but that the judge did see that all the police had seen were that these had been looked at as gay murders. I read transcripts of the police saying, ah, these gay guys, what did they get up to? Laughing about the the culture and lives of gay people and basically them not understanding that being gay literally just means you love someone of the same, same gender and that it doesn't really make you that different to anyone else. But police looked past this because they were gay and... Who knows what gay guys get up to? I got very angered reading this and seeing how police just saw them as gay guys and not as people. Yeah, I know. It's really, it's really bad. If you want to hear more on these, then you can watch How the Police Missed the Grinder Killer on the BBC and Four Lives and The Barking Murders will air later this year. And... Yeah, they're proper productions and not by two girls <laughs> making a podcast nah. from their bedrooms. Um, Stephen Merchant is playing uh, Stephen Port in, uh, I think, The Barking Murders. You know, um... No. Let me search. Uh, Stephen Merchant. I'm bad with names. Oh, he's in Big Bang Theory and The Office. Yes, he is. Afterlife. What's the actor from Afterlife? Ricky Gervais. What? He's the co-writer of The Office. I'm shook. He's Ricky Gervais's best friend. He was only in The Office for like three minutes. (laughs) I don't actually watch the... I watched the, the British version of The Office when I was like... 
nine when I probably shouldn't have watched it. <laughs> but aside from that, I don't remember it. I only reckon, I mean, before The Office, I only saw him in The Big Bang Theory. I think that's the only bit I saw him in. As um, I don't, Amy's, I recognise him them. as most, I recognise him mostly as a voice actor. Mm. But yeah, he plays um, Stephen Port. I can kind of see that. Like, based on the description you gave of uh, Stephen Port. Tall blonde guy who was, well, uh, Stephen Port wore a toupee for all of his grinder pictures. And he he worked as a chef for, I think it was the Megabus. Oh, okay. At Depot in, like, Barking, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he was just, is just an evil man who managed to prey on young gay men because police didn't care enough I know that that's really bad and do you know what I think what is unfortunate about that is that that's the type of <clears throat> mindset that isn't going to change for a long time yeah I think that not only like the generation that's currently high up in police but the generation after that like I think when our generation gets really high up in like ranks and stuff, that's when things will start to change. Exactly. But, like, yeah. Just like not everyone in our generation is as open minded as we are. Mm-hmm. That's true. And unfortunately, things are going to take a really long time to change. But I think we are getting there. I think we're getting a lot closer. Slowly, slowly, but surely. Slowly but surely, but things need to change quicker. It's just the reason that he got away with this it's the same reason that so many serial killers got away with killing prostitutes because police just do not care enough Mm -hmm. and it is such a shame but as us for the grinder murders now please subscribe rate us five stars and tell your friends we would like people to listen to us because our voices are all right and we tell interesting stories (laughs) Thanks, guys. See you next week. Bye.